Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to the Revive Podcast. We're excited you're here. This podcast will include our Sunday morning Sunday school class, our worship night teachings, and an occasional fun interviews. I'm excited to share with you this week's episode. Guys, I'm, I'm excited to, to kind of share with a message uh, with you guys today that I've been thinking about and that God's been letting me process uh, for a couple months. Um, one that has really challenged challenged me, challenged the way that I think about life, um, and, I, and I hope it's the same for you guys. Uh, one that's really pushed me uh, to consider a couple things. So we're going to be in Acts 17. Uh, we're, gonna, we're actually going to go through only nine verses today, which is incredible. Uh, Acts 17, one through nine. But for all of y'all who thought we're going to get out early, I would still hold on to that. Uh, we'll see what happens with nine verses. But I want us to go over this story of what happens with a guy named Paul and a guy named Silas. Now, we know Paul and Silas. If you guys have been coming to Sunday school, that you guys know we've been going through the whole book of Acts. Uh, and that the book of Acts, the main character in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. And so it tells the story of the early church, but the Holy Spirit's the one who's doing stuff. And when we look at the, and read the stories in the book of Acts, we're not just saying, man, look at these incredible people. But rather we're seeing, look what God can do with ordinary people when they're full of the Holy Spirit. And so when I look across this room, I don't go, look at these incredible people. They're lettered men. <laughs> I think, man, look at all these ordinary people and what could God do with their life. And so when we read the book of Acts, it's not like it's something that's far off and removed from who we are. It's ordinary people full of the Spirit of God, and they did something full of the Spirit of God and it changed the world. And we're going to look at that today. Now, I just want to give you a little bit of backstory here. Paul and Silas just got out of prison. Paul's hanging out in prison all the time. He has like a loyalty punch card there. So he's been in prison. Him and Silas were in prison. And, of course, they weren't in prison for anything good. They were preaching the gospel, and that didn't work out very well. People hated them. And Paul, throughout the entire narrative of Acts, gets in trouble again and again and again and again for people just saying, hey, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. There's life in Jesus. There's hope for you. But people didn't like that. And so we're going to look at another opportunity for Paul to get in trouble with some of the local guys today. And spoiler alert, he does. He gets in trouble. But there's a phrase that those guys say about Paul and Silas that has rocked me to the core. And I want to share it with you guys. So let's go to Acts 17, verse 1. And I'm just going to say right off the bat, there are two cities listed in verse 1 that I cannot pronounce. So we're just going to give it the old college try. And we're going to go for it. All right? Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. All right, they went through two towns. They came to Thessalonica. All right, one out of three ain't bad. Where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Okay. And Paul went in as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and said, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. Let's just stop right there. I don't want to get too far into the story. So Paul and Silas, they come to Thessalonica. They come to this town, and they go to the synagogue. Why do they go to the synagogue? Well, because in Thessalonica, there were people who their culture was religious. They, they were, they're used to the idea of going to church on Sunday. So he goes to where the people are. And in this town, it was a synagogue. And if you're actually, if you look down later in verse 17, he goes to Athens. We talked about this last week in Sunday school, but he goes to this town in Athens. The people weren't at the synagogue there. They were in the marketplace. So he goes to the place where the people are. 
And he goes to that, he gets a, a gathering, and he says for three weeks, three Sundays in a row, he says, Jesus is the Christ. This is the one that God has ordained from the beginning that he might suffer and die, but he might suffer and die so that we might live. And he preaches the gospel to them. If you're new here tonight, you've never heard the gospel, that's the gospel. Jesus died so that you might have life. And if you don't know what that means, we can walk through that. But he preaches that message to them. This is what's happening. He's coming again and again and again. You see, Paul and Silas weren't like these dudes who just walked into random places and says, hey, you guys know Jesus? They were strategic in nature. Paul and Silas would think about a place, okay, and where are the people? Let's go to where the people are. They would observe culture. They would listen to the things that people are saying, and they would go to the places that people were at. That's the habits of Paul and Silas. Okay, but let's look, see what happens. In verse 4, so they just preached the gospel. Here's what happens. Verse 4. And some of them were persuaded, come on, and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. So all these people came to know the Lord. That's incredible. He preaches the gospel to this place that does not know Jesus. And all these people come to know the Lord. Uh, people who are Jews, people who were Greeks, the women of the town that came to know Jesus. But look at this, verse 5. But the Jews were jealous. People aren't always going to like it when we're sharing the gospel. What do they do? Because I want to get to that phrase. It's going to blow your mind in a second. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob. They set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring out the crowd. Okay, there's a couple things I find funny in this passage. First of all, Jason has never been mentioned anywhere in the scripture ever before. All we find out is that it was his house. And... <laughs> Like, he's never mentioned again in the rest of the Bible. All we know is that someone just tore the mess out of Jason's house. That's all we know, all right? Uh, and when it says that they formed a mob and set the city in uproar, I'm imagining the opening scene of Shrek. You remember that? When they, like, got all the pitchforks and they ran out to uh, go see Shrek, go see the ogre. Like, this is what I'm imagining. All right, so there's an uproar to Jason's house, all right? We have literally no idea who Jason is. But he comes up, like, three times in the story. Uh, so I got I to gotta tell my friends who are named Jason that they're in the Bible, and I don't know why. But Okay, so I'm going to read verse 5 again just because I want to get a head start. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason out. <laughs> and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Okay. Jason's a really unlucky guy. <laughs> we know nothing about Jason other than that they ransacked his house and beat him. And it's just a rough night for Jason. But here's what they say to him. And this is the crazy part that just caught me in, cut me in the heart. These guys are so mad. They said, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, y'all see that? These men who have turned the world upside down. 
ordinary people full of the Spirit of God began to act in a way that was different in the culture of a town. And it caused such an uproar that people said they've turned the world upside down. And my friends, I want to be people who turn the world upside down. Who turn the world upside down. So we're going to talk about what does it look like to turn the world upside down. What did Paul and Silas do? What does that mean for us? I want to finish this text, though, because Jason gets brought back up again, and I think it's funny. These men who have turned the world upside down have become here, and Jason's received him. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is no other king but Jesus. And the people in the city and the authorities, they were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and from the rest, they let him go. So Jason's house gets totaled, he gets accused, and he gets robbed. But funniness aside, they say something. They say that they're acting against the decrees of Caesar. They're saying there's another king. They're living a way that's different than culture norm. They felt so uneasy that they got a mob together. They got a mob together, blamed a guy named Jason, and then proceeded to say, but they're just, they're, just, they're, not, they're, they're not doing it right. They're not doing the things we're doing. They're, they're turning the world upside down. And what would it look like if this room was full of people who turned the world upside down? So we need to look at this. What were Paul and Silas doing? They were doing a couple different things. There was a couple habits that I see Paul and Silas would go from town to town, and the first thing they did is they would watch and observe. They were people watchers. Anybody, any of y'all do that? Go like go to the mall, go to the airport, and just watch people? Or who am I joking? Like go to campus <laughs> and just like watch people? Well, they weren't doing it like the creepy way. They were doing it in a way just to understand culture. They knew where people were. They knew the people were in the synagogue. They knew the people were in the marketplace. They knew where the people were. What's more than that? They watched culture, but more than that, they began to talk with people. He went into the synagogue and talked to people for three weeks. If you go down to the the story, the rest of the text, he went to the marketplace and started talking to people while they're buying the groceries. He went where the people were and started talking. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So the things that turned the world upside down was reading culture and talking to people? Okay. That seems doable. Okay. What else did they do? It says they chose places strategically. They were strategic. Not only did they read people, not only did they talk to people, they were strategic. And the fourth thing I would include in that is that they worshiped. And go back to the story of when they were in jail and they worshiped God despite being imprisoned. They have a life of worship that they're living out on display. They're strategically thinking about the town. They're not lackadaisically, just half-heartedly doing something, but with intentionality and strategy, they're going about their life, talking to people and being strategic about where they're at. And this is the thing that turned the world upside down. They said, Jesus is Lord. They put themselves in a place, proclaimed the gospel, and the whole town uproared, although some believed. But I want you to think about that phrase, the gospel 
and the idea of turning the world upside down. But isn't that so used to what the gospel is? Like the gospel turns everything upside down. The gospel turns everything upside down. Listen to this. Um, thing, Jesus says a bunch of this stuff. Jesus says, when I'm weak, I'm strong. Upside down. The greatest of you will be small. I'll be a servant. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. The first will be last. Blessed are those who weep. Uh, blessed are those who are persecuted. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The gospel turns everything upside down. He says, you'll find rest when you take my yoke upon me. The word yoke literally means my way of life, my way of doing things. You'll find rest by doing things. What? I thought I found rest by watching Netflix. Oh, then, you see, the gospel says that he's the king of kings, but he's not born in a palace. He's born in a feeding trough. The gospel said he's the king of kings, but he's born to a no-name family that nobody ever heard of. He's the king of kings, but he rode into town on a donkey, not a white horse. The gospel turns everything upside down. And if we think we're going to go about our lives living out the gospel and not turn the world upside down, we're wrong. Christians who go about living like Jesus will turn the world upside down. And I think you can turn the world upside down. Paul and Silas were ordinary people that had the power of the Spirit and the power of the gospel and a calling on their life. They had the power of the Spirit within them. They understood the gospel and they understood the mission that God had given them. What would it look like if everyone in this room understood, man, we are full of the Spirit of God, those of you who believe in Jesus for salvation. We're full of the Spirit of God. The same Spirit that was in Jesus is inside of you. We're full of the Spirit of God. You have life. We're full of the Spirit of God. We're full of the Spirit of God. And that means that the gospel is for everyone. And he's given us a mission. Paul and Silas chose to live in a way that turned the world upside down. Sometimes we think we need to be extraordinary people to have an extraordinary impact. Does that make sense? I've got to be something special in order to do something special. But that's actually not the gospel. The gospel is that ordinary people do extraordinary things because we have an extraordinary God. See, the emphasis isn't on whether or not you're ordinary or extraordinary. And I know some of y'all believe you are extraordinary. Okay? You're sitting in here with all them patches on your letterman feeling... <laughs> You feeling real proud of yourself, state championships, UIL. Y'all feeling real proud of yourself. But that's not the gospel. And I ain't trying to diss on you. Good job in high school. Way to go. But <laughs> the gospel is that ordinary people do extraordinary things because we have an extraordinary God. Do y'all remember? This is, there's a verse. It's not on the screen, so y'all just got to roll with me. But Acts 4, verse 13, you see, John... And Peter had just healed a guy who'd never walked in his entire life. It was quite the day. Any of y'all ever done that? So they just healed a guy. And they got interviewed by all of these, you know, religious leaders. And they're like, how'd you do it? And I, I, it's one of my favorite passages because the guy who got healed at the end of it said, listen, I don't know. 
I don't know how they did it, but all I know is like, I used to not be able to walk, and now I walk, and I praise Jesus. And I was like, man, we need more people like that in life. Like, I'm not quite sure what happened, but once I was dead, and now I'm alive. Like, but in Acts 4, verse 13, it says that when the religious leaders saw that they were uneducated common men who had been with Jesus. And that's what we call church. Uneducated common men. I know, some of y'all got finals next week, you're like, I'm definitely uneducated. (laughs) But none of us want to feel, none of us want that label on us. None of us want to say, oh, you know them, they're uneducated. They're common, they're normal, they're very ordinary. But the gospel says you don't have to be something special because the spirit within you allows you to do extraordinary things because God is extraordinary. That's what's happening. So here's where we're going to look at it. I want you all to look at a couple different things. So why don't we choose to turn the world upside down? When, because the reality is, when we refuse to let the world decide how we're going to live, but rather choose to live like Jesus we will turn the world upside down. I'm going to say that again. When we, when we refuse to let the world decide how we're going to live, but rather choose to live like Jesus, we will turn the world upside down. The problem here is that the word refuse. None of us openly say, yes, culture, influence me for all of the negative reasons. Please, come on, it's a Tuesday. That's not what we say. But rather, we don't refuse to be shaped and formed. We don't say, we don't like go get in line, hey, stand over here if you want to be shaped and formed by all the bad habits of everybody in the world. You're like, oh, that's me. <laughs> like, that's what we do. But there's another line that says, some of here, if you refuse to be formed, if you refuse to be molded by something. Guys, this is why this lesson has hit me hard as well. Because guys, there are so many things in my life that I've, been molded by, I've been shaped by that aren't the gospel. And God has to show them to me. Like, I get taught how to think about issues. I get taught how to think about people, about types of people. I get taught how to think about insert the blank by things other than the gospel all the time. And it's like this message is God screaming to my soul saying, that's enough, refuse. Turn the world upside down. You were called to something great and you're settling because you're letting things that aren't me shape you. Things influence us and shape us all the time. And we're, if we're being influenced and shaped by things that aren't Jesus, we're not going to turn the world upside down. Paul and Silas were shaped by Jesus. His life had literally changed their life. Literally changed their life. They were shaped by Jesus. So I want to ask you this question. Who is shaping your opinion on how you live your life? Who is shaping, who is teaching you how to feel about things? 
what is influencing you the most? Something I found interesting is that we all know social media and we all know like YouTube and there's influencers and it's like this cool world, like there's all kinds of stuff. But did you guys know influencers, like their whole purpose is to shape and mold the way you think? Like that's the purpose of what they do. They want to change the way you think so that you will align with the way they think. That's what they do. So people's jobs are to change the way you think. And so the reason that you wake up one day and your eyes are open, that you've been influenced and shaped by other things, is that people are coming after us. They're not doing it maliciously. But culture has given the right to shape and mold the way I think and feel to people that have no business having it. Because that position in our life has always belonged to Jesus. His word, his scripture, his family shapes the way we think and feel. But we've taken that position and given it to someone else saying, here, you can go ahead. The thing is, though, we don't actually know we've done that. Because it's happened subtly. We don't wake up one day and our favorite artist or our favorite person we follow on YouTube has all of a sudden shaped the way we view life. No, it happens because we refuse, we, we refuse to refuse. Like we didn't decide that's enough, I will be shaped by God alone. Because I believe that when you live in a way that aligns with the kingdom of God, while in the kingdom of the world, you will turn the world upside down. When you refuse to let the world shape and mold you, but rather live like Jesus, you will turn the world upside down. How many of y'all want to make an impact on campus? How many of y'all want to change people's lives? How many want to bring your friend to salvation? Turn the world upside down. We do that by letting God shape us. Wait, 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 wait. You're talking about external actions, though. You're talking about things I can do. Can't I just do those and be shaped by whoever I want? You see, that's the beauty of the gospel. The internal and the external aren't disconnected. They're always connected. See, what God's doing on the inside will play itself out on the outside. And as God changes the way you live your life, it'll play itself out on the inside, on your prayer life. The internal and the external, they're not enemies. They're not opposites. They're connected. So here's what happens. We can choose to be conformed or to be transformed. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2. What does it say? It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. He says, we family. By the mercies of God, present your body as a sacrifice, holding acceptable to God, which is your, your spiritual worship. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you might test you may discern what's the will of God, what's good and acceptable and perfect. He says, don't be conformed by all the things that people are doing around you, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Our mind is changed when we spend time with Jesus. Guys, that's the thing for me. When I look up and I go, man, I am being conformed. I'm letting things shape me that have no business shaping me. Someone said it like this, and I really like it. They said, hey, you're going to be discipled by something, whether you like it or not, so you might as well make it Jesus. So be transformed and conformed. If we just took those two words out, 
And I said, which one of those sounds more fun? Transformation. God doing a work in your life. God changing you. Or same old, same old. Doing what everyone else is doing. But God says be transformed. Look at this other verse uh, in Colossians. We're going to see another, another a key element here. Look in Colossians verses three, chapter 3, verse 9 and 10. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off your old self. Okay, that's another sermon another day. With his praxis and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. I want to look at that phrase, image of its creator. God is actually in the process of shaping you to look like Jesus. When God makes the world and it's good and it's beautiful, he makes man to be image bearers. That's a really cool phrase that you only hear in church. But what it means is that you look like Jesus. You act like Jesus. You're the reflection of God to the world. When you reflect God to the world, you turn the world upside down. But you can only reflect God to the world when you're meeting with God. You can only reflect that which you spend time with. And it's like, God, change this city. Change this campus. And he says, oh, man, I'm all about that. Let's turn the world upside down. And you're like, yes, God, but I ain't never going to pray. <laughs> I don't want to read that Bible. <laughs> I don't want to say yes to you when you challenge me. I think you can turn the world upside down, guys. All right, now why do I think that? Well, because, can we talk about the strategy of Paul and Silas again? I want to go back to that point. I liked it. They were so strategic. They went to the place where they went to the center of cultural and intellectual influence. They went to the market for the Greeks. That's where the culture happened. And they ended up talking to some of those religious leaders where they reasoned with them. The scripture says that Paul and Silas reasoned with them. They went to the place where intelligence was being discovered, you know, like they were searching for intelligence. Then they go to this other place that's like this religious hub where people are sharing their intelligence. So they go to two places that are centers for cultural and intellectual influence. They go to the places that education are born. My friends, where is the place that education and intellect reign supreme in our culture? Is it not the college campus? Thank you, Emma. <laughs> is it not the college campus? I'm going to say this unapologetically. The most strategic place that you can share the gospel, that you can live like Jesus, that you can live full of spirit and obedient to God, the most strategic place that you can do that is on the college campus for two reasons. One, data has shown year after year after year after year that the, the age gap between 18 to 24 is when people are the most open to hearing and responding to the gospel. The, the data shows that increasingly, overwhelmingly, that is the truth. Another reason is that people are going to stay here for a little bit of time. And when they catch the gospel, they will go back, either back to mom's basement or to, to their job in the DFW or wherever. And they will take the gospel with them. 
and that we can change the nations by changing the campus. I remember when Melina and I were really struggling trying to figure out what did God have us for our life. And there was a burden for the nations on our heart. And it was as if God spoke, no, 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 no. Stay here because you can reach the nations here. Not just the nations. You can reach the small little East Texas town that people are going to go back to. You can reach the city. Because this is the most strategic place to be here. It's a university campus. I want to share some stories. Because when I say that you can turn the world upside down, I'm not saying it hypothetically. This was really cool. I got to sit down and think about my time here in Nacogdoches. And I've seen people turn the world upside down. I've seen, it's not this crazy, cannot be attained kind of thing. It's something I've seen happen that they began to walk and live in regards to the kingdom of God in the kingdom of the world, and the world got turned upside down. So I'm going to tell you some stories, okay? These are real people. These are real names because I want you to hear that this could be you. This isn't a message for someone else. It's a message for you, message for me, that, that you can turn the world upside down. I'll start off with the story of one, of one girl who, who gave her life to the Lord when she was in college, changed the entirety of her life, went back to the volleyball team that she was in, preached the gospel to the volleyball team. People in the volleyball team began to hear and respond to the message of faith. The entirety of her life changed when she met God. And when she went back to that volleyball team, the world got turned upside down. I want to tell you a story about guys named, two guys named Kyle and Nathan. You guys might know them. Nathan still goes here. Kyle and Nathan were the only two dudes in Revive. That's right. <laughs> Y'all don't know about those years. They were crazy. <laughs> we had two dudes, Kyle and Nathan. But they were faithful. And they served the Lord. And they were intentional with this guy named Ford. Ford's life caught on fire. And he began to serve the Lord. These aren't, I'm, I'm getting emotional. These are real stories. Ford knew a girl named Sarah. Ford brought Sarah. Sarah heard the gospel for the first time, gave her life to the Lord, and was baptized here because Kyle and Nathan were faithful because they turned the world upside down. There's a, there's a, a couple, they're married now, named Austin and Corinne. Austin did not know the Lord. He came to know the Lord here. Corinne was on the volleyball team and came to know the Lord here. When they came to the Lord, their entire dating relationship changed. And they now served and honored the Lord. And Corinne would share the gospel like crazy. Austin's now a coach where he's sharpening minds and teaching them how to love the Lord and play football. <laughs> There's this one, she just graduated last year, Rachel Defino. You've never, I've never met someone who was better at intentional conversations than Rachel because she took the moment, talked to them, cared for them, and because she cared for them like Jesus would have cared for them, they, the world was turned upside down. There's a guy named Jacob Kahn. He was in college when I was in college. God caught his heart for missions. He went to Haiti with us. He came back and was fed up, but in like the good, righteous way, where he was like, change has to happen, and I'll never forget when he lost his mind at one of our small groups, 
about the change that needs to occur in the American church. But all of us in that room, the world got turned upside down in that moment because our perspective was now biblical. There's a girl named Catherine Holmes. God gave her an incredible gift of art. And so she would use the art here for our college ministry. All these people, every single one of them was in these seats. Okay? Catherine used her gift of art for the college ministry and for the church. And God captured her heart for the country of Wales. She moved to Wales, married some dude there, and now uses art to share the gospel in Wales because she recognized that the skill she had and the passion she had for mission could go together. There's a guy named Spencer. To this day, I will say Spencer's one of the top three smartest people I've ever met in my life. Like, legit. I'll never forget being in a group with him. All guys group. And you ladies, you don't understand what all guys groups are like. <laughs> They're strange. <laughs> Not a lot of talking. <laughs> this really dull place. And, and this group was struggling. And I'll never forget, for three weeks in a row, he was the most vulnerable that I'd ever seen in a small group. And guys' lives were changed. Because the gospel was not something that far off. The gospel was something that was involved in their problem. That entire group was turned upside down. We changed their trajectory. There's a girl named Natalie. Natalie was burdened while she was in college to do something about human and sex trafficking. Burdened for it. And so began to do things in college for it. As much as you can when you're like 19, right? Natalie now works with an organization where she works with ladies who have left that lifestyle, and she's teaching and rehabilitating them because she's turning the world upside down. You guys know um, Ann Rodriguez. She is the manager down at the coffee shop. What y'all don't know is her as a college student. Ann was so missional. I've never seen her hang out with more lost people in my life because she cared for her community, and it changed the world. There's a girl named Kelsey whose dad didn't know the Lord. Her, her dad was named Danny. And for years and years and years and years, Kelsey prayed for her dad, shared the gospel when he, she could. And we would celebrate every small little victory while she was in college. So she got out of college, and her dad came to know the Lord and is now a leader at his church. We're not talking about some, like, casual dude. We're talking about, like, rough around the edges kind of dude. I think about people like M. Joe, I call her M. Joe, Emily, and, and Madison, who devoted the entirety of their entire college career. They, like, literally didn't show up to revive events because they gave all, everything they had, everything, so that they would reach their sorority. And they change people's lives because of that. These are just stories I came up with on the spot. <laughs> when you live in a way where you refuse to be formed by the world, but choose to live like Jesus, you will turn the world upside down. We want that, don't we? All of us are nursing, God, use me. We can really relate to Isaiah 6 when he says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah stands up and he says, here I am, Lord, send me. 
We want to be used for the mission and the purpose of God on the most strategic place in the world, the college campus, where we can reach the nations. The beauty of the college campus, there's 14,000 people on that campus. If, we, if all 14,000 came to know Jesus, first of all, we throw one heck of a party, but if all 14,000 people came to know Jesus, next year, 3,500 coming in, they don't know. Because the job ain't going to stop. And we can turn the world upside down. You can turn the world upside down in Nacogdoches. You can turn the world upside down when you go back home for Christmas break. Man, what would it look like for you to live like a part of the kingdom of God, not a part of that broken family model that you're a part of? To live like you're a part of the kingdom of God instead of that old friend group you used to run with. To live like you're a part of the kingdom of God instead of like who you were in high school. And you come back here, or maybe you graduate, and you go off, and you get a job, and you say, I'm going to turn the world upside down. I'm going to make an impact, make a difference, because I'm going to live in a way that refuses, refuses to be molded and shaped by this world, but chooses to live like Jesus. That's the desire within my heart. And so here's my prayer. I pray that that desire is in your heart, and that you would want to turn the world upside down. So we've got, this is super cheesy, we've got stickers. <laughs> and they're on the resource table, go grab one. But I want you to put them on your laptop or whatever and just kind of go, all right. They turn the world upside down. And when you see that, be reminded, I'm going to turn the world upside down. Not because I'm extraordinary, but because I'm ordinary. Um, we're going to pray. Van's going to come back up here. Uh, and I'm going to just give you an opportunity just to, to sit with God. And say, Lord, where am I being shaped by things that aren't you? Lord, help me want to turn the world upside down. So let's just go ahead, close our eyes, pray with the Lord. Band's going to pray for a little bit, then I'm going to pray us out. I want you to have that conversation with God. God, where am I being shaped by things? Open my eyes, open my heart. God is for you. And I believe you can change the world. You can turn the world upside down. Meet with the Lord. Meet with the Lord.